0: You know, why can't we have human-centric AI models for automation and be dedicated to creating an ecosystem with no losers, benefiting everyone from executives and shareholders to workers and consumers?
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines and the Great Descent.
2: Thanks for tuning in again to geek out with us over the fascinating field of AI and machine learning and the role of humans in it. Today we're super happy to have Mosen Rizayat with us. Mosen is the Chief Solutions Architect at Siemens Digital Industries Software and an adjunct professor at the University of Cincinnati. So, Mosen, welcome to the show and thanks so much for taking some time to join this little podcast. How are you and where do we catch you today?
0: Hi, uh, uh, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I um, live in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio in United States right now, but uh, my path to get here is uh, interesting in that I was born in Iran and came to States when I was uh, 17. I attended the University of California, their Irvine campus, and then uh, my studies at University of Kentucky with a PhD in engineering uh, mechanics. I was then hired by a company called uh, Structural Dynamics uh, Research Corporation, which was uh, eventually acquired by Siemens. So I've worked within the same organization for over 36 years and now lead the Advanced uh, Solutions uh, Group with the mandate of doing uh, R&D across the entire portfolio of uh, Siemens Digital Industry Software, or the ISW, as we call it. I'm also an adjunct uh, full professor at the University of Cincinnati, as you mentioned, and started a nonprofit organization called Omid uh, USA about 12 years ago to raise the Income level of poor farmers by introducing affordable and sustainable solutions. So that's sort of a brief version of how I got here. And I uh, truly believe that uh, we need more conversations about the role and circumstances of humans in everything we do, including AI. So again, thanks for having me. I do it. That's,
1: that's people, passion, purpose. They're all in one. I can't believe it. That's super awesome already, right? And I guess we have in, in, in Germany, we have a saying called ein Urgestein. That's typical. Sounds harsh, but it actually means in English institution, right? You are there in the PLM space, right? Product life cycle management space and also software space and also innovation space for, for quite a long, right? How do you see if you reflect a bit on the past, right? And you know, in the past years, how how do you see the the software business and in the industry? How has it evolved, and are there, do you identify certain major milestones um,
0: along this path? Um, thanks, Uli. You're you're too kind. One uh, observation I would like to share with you in my journey with Siemens uh, is that the rate of change, which uh, historically was linear is now exponential, uh, in my opinion. Uh, reasons for this include exponential growth in the amount of computing power and available data for creating amazing AI models, uh, doing complex simulations, uh, creating very large realistic 3D models called digital twins, many more uh, examples. Now, a couple of uh, indicators for this in, in our world today that would, hopefully make believers out of the listeners, is that it's sort of amazing to me to think that China can identify any of their 1.4 billion citizens in about two seconds using AI-based uh, facial recognition. Intel has more than 7 billion transistors on a single chip. Uh, you know, it took like 30 years to go from two transistors in the 1950s to 20,000 transistors, but then all of a sudden we jumped to 7 billion. What is equally amazing to me is that the rate of adoption of technology is also changing. You probably know that uh, televisions were uh, invented in 1925, uh, but it took 25 years for 25% of Americans to own a TV. Now, compare that to smartphones that were invented in 2007, and it only took two years for 25% of Americans to own a smartphone. So this exponential rate of change and the rate of adoption of technology tells us that our development, operation, and business models need to evolve as well because customers now expect rapid change. And that extends to the use of software in industry. For example, our customers are demanding even larger scale visualization, collaboration, and simulation that's given to them seamlessly across multiple geographic sites and applications. We also see that software as a service, the so-called SaaS, is becoming the delivery method mainly for ease of access scalability and integration reasons these trends of rapid change in development operation and business models must continue in order for us uh, Siemens in general and Siemens the ISW in particular to successfully answer the demands of the market very well put
2: yeah super interesting and impressive facts and yeah and valid points Mosin, you, you have to know about me. I I love quotes and there's a very nice quote from Peter F. Drucker who said, if you want something new, you have to stop doing something old. So challenging the status quo and exploring the new is something I personally really love. And I would be super curious to know, is there any quote that you are in particular interested in or that, and that you would like to share with the audience?
0: Yeah, this, this answer is, is easy. Um, my uh... Idol is uh, Albert Einstein, and uh, he has many quotes. I actually I can show you around my office. I have him on the walls, uh, the quotes from him that uh, I, I really like. Many of those, but the one that always stays with me is, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. So whether I'm teaching my students at the university or when I try to explain something new and exciting to colleagues. I try my best to explain it as simply and plainly as I can without using, you know, complex concepts and big words. By the way, I also like the quote of uh, something like this. If uh, we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called research.
2: (laughs) Ah, Nice one.
0: (laughs) Uh, Quite often to the uh, people around me because they always want me to define everything for them. And I uh, always quote this from Einstein to them
1: yeah, I will use it directly tomorrow if somebody's <laughs> questioning again. Right, to research research <laughs> But speaking of software, right? Software in current times, you know, I love this this it has this open source movement. Actually, an entire young young generation is pushing their ideas you know as fast as something what to GitHub on X, right, if even before conferences, even if you thought like conferencing, you know, research and applied research conferencing, you know, they already uploaded this stuff along with code, along with, you know, this beauty of, of sharing. And this sharing fueled, from my perspective, significantly also the, the progress in machine learning. How do you see the role of open source within a corporation and maybe also along the line of the, the PLAM and in DI software
0: industry? I really truly believe that one of the drivers for the exponential rate of change I was talking about in the last two decades is the open source software. You know, my own team couldn't do the amount of feasibility studies that we have done in the last three years if open source AI and ML software like TensorFlow and PyTorch were not available to us. Now, at Siemens, we have practiced this open source concept, but we need to do more, especially with our PLM software at the ISW, if and when it could benefit us as well as our customers. For instance, let's look at uh, JT, which is the de facto industry 3D model format we created, got through the ISO certification, and then offered to the entire CAD industry. That was great. However, I think it would have been even greater if we had also open-sourced the uh, JT toolkit. This is the C++ API library that enables read-write access to all data within the JT. Open-sourced it and offered it for free, similar to what other formats like uh, USD have done. The result would have been a much larger adoption of this format beyond our Immediate industry, such as in game engines like Unity 3D. This would have uh, opened many more doors, in my opinion, to us and to our customers. We now, I believe, need to do the same with the industrial AI related tools we created, similar to what uh, TensorFlow and PyTorch have done. Because at the end, Siemens will win since we understand better than anyone else the needs of the industry. Of course, we shouldn't and won't open everything up because intellectual property needs to be protected. I understand that. But I'm certain we can figure out a strategic way of accomplishing a win-win situation. You know, if Google and Facebook can figure out in a B2C context how to open source what is central to their environment, and AI environment, I'm sure we at Siemens uh, the ISW, you can do it in a B2B context for the PLM community.
1: That's that's nicely put. That's actually, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's nicely put. I think we have a long, a bit of a journey still ahead, isn't it? We'll go in there. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
2: There's so many potentials for synergies, actually. But speaking of uh, potentials, where do you see the role of AI and machine learning in the Siemens software and PLM can you maybe share some use cases there, maybe even three or more that you are particularly passionate about?
0: I think this uh, goes to really the topic of this podcast. I think generally speaking in, in PLM, AI-enabled machines uh, and software are augmenting human workers' capabilities. AI-enabled systems do what they can do best, which includes like analyzing huge data sets, uh, generating lots of design alternatives, answering questions about those designs, performing repetitive tasks, handling routine cases. Uh, On the other hand, humans do what they do best, which includes resolving ambiguous information, performing delicate tasks. And we'll talk about this hopefully later. Choosing among many alternatives based on aesthetics and or marketing goals. Selling what is created and dealing with dissatisfied customers. Now, specific to DISW, we actually have many examples of such uh, AI-enabled software from Mendix and MindSphere applications to Teamcenter and and NX products to calibrate, to process, simulate, and mom software. And I'm sure I'm forgetting other products that have some sort of AI capability at the ISW. But I want to give you more details about three capabilities in these products that I'm personally familiar with. The first one, which is actually in the hands of our customers today, it's called Adaptive UI in our NX products. This is our modeling system, 3D modeling system. Very complicated product, many hundreds, if not thousands, of menus and submenus. And what we have been able to accomplish is with a high degree of accuracy, be able to predict what the next command that the user is going to need and bring it to them rather than making them go and try to find it. And again, the customers just love this capability. And uh, we use Markov chains, uh, and now we are kind of thinking about even evolving that, perhaps to a deep learning model for for this. But the point is that even something that seems very rudimentary could become a huge success. The uh, next one that we are working on right now is anomaly detection and repair. Using knowledge graphs, which I hope you guys ask me a question about that because I want to explain it more, but we use knowledge graphs to integrate our team center, MindSphere, and an ERP system from a partner together. And uh, we actually can now, in a single environment, in a browser, allow a user to monitor an entire factory, detect when there are a broken part or a machine that's not behaving properly, get the From the sensors, the part that is causing the problem, get information and metadata about that part, order that part. Then once it's delivered through that same browser, get instructions for disassembly and assembly of the part and uh, then continue monitoring. So this is really tremendous and it's all enabled by AI and uh, knowledge graphs. And the third example is uh, digital assistants. You know, these are now in a lot of our products being, being developed. But uh, the one that I'm actually directly involved in is with our mentor graphics colleagues uh, in a product called Capital, where harness manufacturing is um, complex products. And for the foreseeable future, it's not going to be automated because putting these wires into these small pins, Uh, at least uh, for as long as we could see, it needs to be done by humans. And humans, of course, make mistakes. And uh, mistakes are very costly. Uh, To try to find out a mistake in a harness, which is bundles of wires in your cars or planes or ships, uh, after the fact uh, is a daunting task. And uh, we were told that if we could even save 1%, reduce the number of errors by 1%, that would save uh, companies up to $10 million. So we are now um, using uh, head-mounted devices. Uh, It could be a Google Glass or HoloLens. And we are using the camera to not only bring the work instructions to the users, but also monitor them as they follow those work instructions. And if they make any mistakes or they forget a step, we can point it out to them in real time and uh, let them make the correction without trying to figure it out after the fact, which I say is more like finding a needle in the haystack. So um, these are all exciting capabilities that we are, we are developing and uh, all of them are being enabled because of AI.
1: Love it, right? Part, part, and super challenging for certain pieces, right? But love it.
0: But I
1: also poke you directly with the knowledge graph question, no question, right? We because obviously a natural reflex in some some kindness or the, 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 or actually complexity is bombs, right? This is something it's like bill of materials say the the, the management of, of the product structure right for the manufacturing stuff and and they these bombs like this bill of materials can be super large right super complex includes you know metalities you have I don't know, images, taxonomies or, uh, you know, documents attached to that. How do you envision a bit going further that maybe you can elaborate a bit on the role of knowledge graphs for DI software, right? That you untangle a bit <laughs> this complexity, right? Or you think it's just a hype? Uh, or, or will it play a role? What's what your view on that? Uh,
0: absolutely. I'm so glad uh, Uli, you asked me about knowledge graphs again because I want to explain what I have said before and uh, perhaps answer these questions well. You know, generally speaking, knowledge graphs or KGs are a critical tool for incorporating complex knowledge into intelligent systems. Using these KGs, knowledge is encoded in a sort of a graph-based uh, structure where nodes uh, represent real-world entities uh, while edges define uh, multiple relations between these entities. Uh, and, and in fact... KGs provide a flexible way to capture, organize, and query a large amount of multi-relational data, the type you mentioned for management of product structure in in manufacturing in in your question. But KGs also provide a semantic-based perspective, uh, which is essential for performing deductive reasoning. At DISW, we have used KGs to integrate several applications together and then use deductive reasoning for semantic search across these applications, or to identify anomalies and take action. The example I just gave before on anomaly detection and repair is a good indicator of how KGs can help connect data from disparate systems together and quickly extract intelligence from their conceptual relationships and mappings.
2: So shaping AI and machine learning in industry also demands different approaches towards industrial grade, right? So what is it for you? So what is industrial grade from your perspective and how do you picture trustworthy AI?
0: Well, um, now you're in my wheelhouse because I can talk about this topic for uh, for hours, but I try uh, not to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll try my best to be brief. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I actually did a... Um, Podcast with a colleague from uh, Google about this topic. But trustworthy AI for industrial applications must be functionally robust, abide by legal mandates, and follow ethical principles. I I talked about these bias issues before, and those could have legal, ethical, and robustness ramifications. uh, And now here, I'd just like to touch on another sensitive topic in the short time I have to focus on the ethics issues. Historically, the question of um, ethics is not raised in computer science and software development as much as it does in medicine, biology, psychology, anthropology, etc. The Main reason is that up to now, uh, human subjects were not viewed as much affected by software as these other traits. However, with the advent of AI models that we've been talking about, especially we at the ISW need to pay attention to eth- ethical issues because, uh, first, AI models could create harmful bias. So we covered this uh, before. Second, AI models could be weaponized. Third, AI models could allow creation of alternate reality. And fourth, AI models can replace masses of humans as part of automation. This attention to ethics is a huge change. And in my view, software developers are not ready to deal with it on their own. Um, I can give you a perfect example of uh, Joe Redman. He was a tremendous researcher that, when he was a graduate student in 2016, he developed and pioneered object recognition algorithm that's called YOLO, you only look once. He revealed not too long ago that he has stopped doing computer vision research altogether because of its military and surveillance applications. But that's a shame. Um, now. Some people may uh, protest uh, the intrusion of ideology into engineering and software development when we talk about industrial AI ethics, but we don't want our developers to deal with these issues as a sort of personal moral crisis that they need to deal with on their own. I think a more organized uh, ethics process is needed. And I bring this up constantly during uh, the AI's uh, AI console meetings. I'm I'm a member of that group and we will see what happens. But I uh, truly believe that more attention needs to be paid to ethics. Uh, Of course, we want to be ethical, but also to remove this burden from developers and engineers that we have so that uh, they know what they should do and how they need to behave to uh, match the uh, best practices that we have.
1: Yeah, a a humongous challenge. And actually YOLO, right? You know, every, every I guess, PhD, you know, or at least interested ML geek in COVID division, right, has fine-tuned some kind of YOLO, right, at least used it, right? And I found it also quite straight and, and very honest to say, like, okay, he will not continue and pursue no, this, you know, because of its implication. And this resonates also, I don't know if you've seen the keynote on, on last Neural NeuralNAPS um, conference, uh, December of Charles Isbell. He gave this key, keynote on you can't escape hyperparameters and latent variables, right? So from a software engineering and argued a bit, uh, a really nicely done video actually also that, you know, researchers just need to have broad- broadened their scope and also their view on the implications their grounding and their contribution have in their applications because the most, most research said, like, I, I just did the glossifier, right? I don't know what they're doing, the bad guys or the good guys, right? With that. But, um, as you know, these technology come more pervasive and important, it's also, you know, inevitable, you know, that you also consider that something will go wrong or may go wrong. Right. And that you need to design for these kinds of aspects and need to, when you contribute um, to this field, also being aware of, you know, this, this application scenario is going on.
0: Yeah, Uli, uh, this is, uh, as I said, we can talk about this for (laughs) hours. I actually struggle with something myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I mentioned to you that we are developing a solution where AI assistants can sort of look over the shoulder because they use the cameras of uh, Google Glass or HoloLens to monitor what they're doing and identify any errors. But we could use that same uh, camera with a little bit of tweaking to also get a better understanding of the emotional state of the worker, right? Uh, He or she is tired or making too many mistakes. So maybe you need a break or you need to go and get some water or maybe monitor their vital signs and be able to be helpful with that. But what stops me from even suggesting something like that is because I believe that could be abused. For instance, if supervisors could monitor their workers and their emotional state, they could uh, look and say, oh, when I went by this certain worker, his blood pressure went up. Or when he was reading or she was reading an email that I sent to him at that time, I could see that uh, the emotional state showed me that uh, that person doesn't like me or is upset or whatever. And and this can be abused. Uh, so we are in this quandary, right? We can use this technology for doing great things. I mean, it would be wonderful to understand that a person is tired, they need to take a break, they need to go get some water. But if that same data could be abused to retaliate around, uh, against a, a worker because I can now recognize how people feel about me, even if they don't say anything at all, that is not a good thing. So I I guess what I'm saying is, yes, you're right. I mean, this is a very tough problem. And we're always struggling with uh, how far should we push this and uh, have those values that you were talking about to stop us from doing that. But all of us need to abide by those because otherwise, again, there are those people that are going to abuse it, even though we didn't create it for that purpose. So that's... That's the problem.
2: Mohsen, you mentioned before, or you elaborated quite a bit on ethics in AI and also Siemens. Like in October, they said the four key strategic pillars, and one of them was technology with purpose. And maybe you can elaborate a bit on what does technology with purpose mean to you?
0: This is an excellent question, and I hope my answer wouldn't uh, surprise you. You know, being at uh, this business uh, unit of Siemens for over 36 years has uh, conditioned me to always think about how what I do could... Help not only our customers but also humanity in general. I, I really believe this is uh, the result of technology with purpose uh, culture at Siemens that you were just talking about. You can't be someplace for thirty six years and not get uh, gain that uh, that culture that it has. Uh, for instance, I've pledged to myself to put uh, front and center the intended and unintended consequences of digital transformation on. Humanity, and to lead uh, innovative initiatives to counter uh, negative effects that uh, automation might have. You know, why can't we have human-centric AI models for automation, and be dedicated to creating an ecosystem with no losers, benefiting everyone from executives and shareholders to workers and consumers? Because there's always people say, "Oh, there are winners and losers," and I'm saying, "Why?" You know this. This kind of thinking and culture carries over to my nonprofit organization, where we are changing the game by placing sustainable and affordable technologies in the hands of subsistence farmers to lift themselves up for a hopeful life. I mentioned to you the name is Omid USA. Uh, Omid in my uh, mother tongue, uh, Farsi means hope. And really that's the basis human survival, right? It's it's hope. You know, we we dare to imagine renewable energy solutions so well engineered that they can be delivered at the lowest cost for the highest yield. We also dare to imagine an innovative infrastructure leading to an economic model where community members doing the work are rewarded instead of the middlemen, which unfortunately are the winners to today in, in these poor regions. So uh, I hope that you think that's cool, right? Uh, and <laughs> a good indicator of this technology with purpose concept at Siemens.
1: I mean, this, go- this goes along, right, with the saying, uh, I think it was even uh, Jim Hagemann Snabe, who said like, the future belongs to those companies that generate profits because of responsible conduct, right? And there's a, a lot, a lot streamed towards, you know, the role of technology for tackling urgent challenge out there. And you, you know, you have on your, also on your private side, right? Your contributions, like, this is what you want to do. But obviously, in, in, in a world of uh, stakeholder uh, capitalism somehow, right? Uh, can we acc- attach also great business models on the sustainability channels? What's, what's your view on the role of software, maybe also on circular economy and, and these kinds of concepts which seem to be a natural fit?
0: You know, a, a circular economy ensures that resources which which enter the economy can remain a part of it for as long as possible it is a popular idea among uh, champions of sustainability that you know emphasis uh, should be placed on designing out waste and pollution therefore you know keeping products in use for longer and facilitating the regeneration of natural systems i think we must get away from our current throw away culture, which unfortunately exists, especially in the US, and instead give priority to the principles of reduce, reuse, and recycle rather than take, make, and dispose. One of the you know key adoption challenges is that for the circular economy to have a significant impact, it's not enough for just one or two companies to change how they manufacture one product. Every organization that forms our infrastructure and economy needs to embrace this new way of doing business. It's going again back to that conversation we had about shared values that can't just be one company. It needs to go across the board, and that's really the the challenge. And I think we are uniquely positioned for this uh, circular economy because. You know, DISW is the the number one PLM vendor in the world, and uh, the software that we create from DISW, with its vast customer base, can can help here. Uh, as an example, we need to do more to enable reduction by design in our ecosystem, meaning that our software should help customers design their products with the end goal of disassembly and regeneration from the very outset. And we are doing some work, of course, in this area, but I think we need to do more, in my opinion.
2: I agree. And I also believe that the future will look like that we generate business value through social value, so value for the environment and society.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree with that. No question.
2: Mosen, we are already at the last question and this one is quite a personal one because you've worked so many years for the company and you've pushed and seen so many fascinating challenges and initiatives and you have that nonprofit where you're working. So I would be super curious to know what were some key lessons that you picked up along your journey and that you would like to share with the audience.
0: Yeah, we, uh, kind of have talked about some of this already. I think number one is dare to uh, imagine big and be bold. I don't think we at Siemens, uh, at least I can tell you with certainty that I've never been limited in what I can imagine and uh, what I can propose. And I think that would be my advice to to everyone. The um, second one is to uh, not be afraid of failure. And the third one is to continue to learn your entire career. You know, um, after 36 years in the industry, I still think that a day that goes by without me learning something new was wasted. And the more I I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know and how uninformed I am, which uh, is a kind of disappointing, but also gives me more fuel to want to learn more. And at least in my case, I've learned more from my failures than from my successes. So I take risks and try my best to make it a successful venture when I get down a path. But uh, if it fails, I don't panic. Instead, I do a postmortem and I uh, try to figure out what happened so that I can do things better next time. And I think that's uh, really something that I believe if every one of our young talent keeps those three things in mind, they would have a successful career, it seems.
2: Beautiful and so inspiring. Mosen, thanks so much. You're truly a gifted orator and it was um, so much fun, like having this conversation with you and listening to you and learning from you. Um, but before we finish off, we play my favorite game. It's called Authentic Autocomplete. And today you, you will be our special guest. So I will give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and you will just finish. Mosen, are you ready?
0: <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: Okay. W- w- we start out with an easy one, okay? So Siemens is?
0: A great place to innovate responsibly.
2: Perfect. Innovation is?
0: Practical implementation of ideas.
1: I haven't heard that before. I haven't heard that before. I love it.
2: The COVID pandemic has taught me? It's taught me to be
0: patient and appreciate freedom of movement.
2: Beautiful. And the last one, it's quite a tough one, but and I believe in you. So if I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be?
0: It's actually a combination of rules. Uh, be uh, tolerant of our differences, help the needy, and above all, live and let live in peace.
1: I love that. If this, These are three if and else rules, then we have an AI system, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Just kidding. Well, thanks so much. It was such a pleasure. And I, I'm sure we we need to continue that discussion on not on only on the class of wine, but maybe on the second a third and the fourth episode of, of the Human and AI podcast. Thanks so much for spending this time with us and sharing your thoughts. Marvelous.
0: Truly, it was my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me and spending this time uh, Together and I actually look forward to future conversations. Uli, you're uh, you're not gonna be far away, so we're gonna have these kind of conversations a lot. I hope. Uh,
1: here we go. Love that, folks out there. It's, you stay tuned, right? There's I don't know a lot of more to come. You have heard it already, right? It will be. Stay bold and open-minded and committed, obviously as well. And we hear us at the next Siemens AI Lab podcast. Cheers. <laughs>